What a great story about what happens when we encounter the risen Lord. You know, the people who tell stories for a living every year about this time begin to re release some faith-based movies, and they did so again this year. Uh, there was a movie released called Risen. If you haven't seen it yet, I really encourage you. It's a great film. It's well done. Uh, Joseph uh, uh, Gaines, uh, or rather Fines, uh, plays the part of Clavius in the, in the movie, the Roman commander who is brought before Pilate, and he's given the charge to find the allegedly stolen body of Jesus. And as the story unfolds, he encounters the risen Christ, and his entire life is changed by that. Now, here's the question I have for you this Easter. Have you had an encounter with the risen Christ? And if you have, how has it changed your story? Now, the story of the risen Christ takes place in a real place. It takes place in the land of Israel. Now, usually when you think of Israel, you think of a desolate wilderness. And while there are deserts there in Israel, it's also a land of great contrast. Along the Mediterranean Sea, there are beautiful beaches. Uh, Jerusalem actually is in the mountains that uh, runs from the north to the south of that beautiful land. And around the Sea of Galilee, you'll find other things. You'll find uh, hills and you'll find fertile valleys. And flowing out of the Sea of Galilee is the Jordan River that goes down the fertile Jordan Valley. It's a beautiful land. The most abundant and characteristic vegetation in all of Israel is the olive tree. Amazingly, the olive tree will grow where other trees will not. In fact, they actually thrive in rocky and otherwise unproductive soil. If you were to travel to Israel today, the most common reoccurring artifact that you would find in all the ancient ruins would actually be an olive press. The olive press in the day of Jesus was used to extract the valuable and much needed oil from the fruit of that tree. This trough and millstone was found in the town of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was a small fishing village on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent most of his ministry. The millstone and trough was used in the first step of processing the olive harvest. Once the olives were placed in the stone trough, a donkey or a person would walk in a circle around the press and cause the heavy millstone to roll in the trough and to crush not only the soft flesh of the olives, but also the pits. Once the olives were crushed into a kind of mash, it would then be placed in several porous burlap bags and stacked one upon the other under a heavy weighted beam. The weight of the beam would cause the first or what is known as the virgin oil to ooze out of the bags. The process then would be repeated twice again with even greater weights added to extract the second and the third yield of olive oil. The Hebrew word for olive oil is shimonim. The word get means the place of pressing. And so the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went to pray before his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion, was literally the Garden of the Pressing. The scripture tells us that three times Jesus entered that garden and he prayed about his impending death. Three times the crushing weight of the responsibility to bear your sin and mine was upon him that literally he sweat drops of blood. This is really a special place. Some of the trees in this garden are over 2,000 years old. Amazing when you consider that in the 15th century that the Turks came here and cut down most of the trees in Jerusalem as a sign of their conquest. And yet somehow the trees in this garden survived. Maybe so that you and I could remember what happened here on our behalf so long ago. 
the place where Jesus decided to lay his life down for you and me. It was in this garden or perhaps a garden like this that Judas came to betray the Lord. And yet that's not really what started everything. It was a prayer that Jesus prayed when he prayed to the Father and he said, let this cup be passed for me. You see, in that cup was everything that he hated, all of the sin and the poison of the world. And yet he said, not my will, but your will be done. In the garden of the pressing, he was crushed to pay for your sin and for mine. That's where it began. That night, the uh, guards came uh, from Caiaphas, and they took him from that garden back to Caiaphas's house where they had a mock trial, and then they beat him up. And that night, he spent the night in the dungeon underneath Caiaphas's house. Early the next morning, they took him to Pilate. Once again, they beat him, and they brought him before the crowd who called for his crucifixion. They scourged him, and they took him to the cross. And after he died on the cross, after he said, it is finished, they took his body down and they put it into a borrowed tomb. But we are here today celebrating. We celebrate with millions of Christians all over the world today because on Sunday morning, God resurrected him from the dead. You see, when God did that, what God was doing is he was putting his stamp of approval on the life of Jesus Christ. It was proof positive that Jesus was who he said he was and that he had accomplished what he said he had accomplished. Let me ask you, have you had an encounter with the risen Christ? If you have, your story has been changed. Uh, on the back of your worship guide today, there's a little phrase there. It says, because he is risen. And I want to encourage you sometime during the service to write down the difference that Christ has made in your life, the freedom that you have, what you've done and where you've gone because of the risen Christ. Now, if you don't have a pen or, or, or a pencil to write, just imagine what you would write when you get home today, before you finish your celebration of this resurrection day, write your story. Write how his story has changed your story. Now, the truth is some of you cannot write anything because some of you know about the story but you've not allowed his story to change your story. You've not had an encounter with the risen Christ. What I want to do in our, our very short time together is I want to go back to that metaphor of the crushing of the olives. I want to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus decided to be pierced and crushed on our behalf. And I want to talk about those three oils that are extracted, even from, in this day, from those olives. Uh, that third olive uh, oil was used for a lot of things, but it was used primarily to make soap in that day. And because of the oil that was in there, it provided a healing quality to aged or scorched or dry skin. In 1 John 1, 7, it says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We need to be clean because the Bible says all of us are sinners. Now, what it means to be a sinner uh, just like our couple shared in the, in the video, it doesn't mean you're a horrible, bad person. It just means you decide to run your own life separate from God. And you were never created to run your life separate from God. It was to be in unity with God. And because of that, you have sinned. The Bible says all of us have sinned. We've done things we shouldn't have done. We've gone places we shouldn't have gone. We've thought things 
that we shouldn't have thought. We have sin. I remember when I was a kid growing up, we didn't have video games, and so we spent most of our time playing outside. In fact, we spent so much time outside, we would play literally until the sun would go down every day. And my dad would stand out on our front porch, and he would whistle. And we knew my dad's whistle. It was a distinctive whistle. It meant, boys, wherever you are in the neighborhood, start making your way home. Now, every once in a while, dad would whistle, and we'd come home, and as we hit the porch, mom would say something like this. She would say, you boys get cleaned up because we're going to church. That tells you how old I am. Back when I went to church, we not only went to church on Sunday morning, we went on Sunday night as well. I'm from the old country. And I remember one particular time, dad uh, whistled and we all came and then my mom said, boys, get cleaned up because we're going to church. Now we knew what she meant. She meant for us to go in and take a shower and she'd already laid out the clothes that we'd wear to school the next day and we were allowed to wear that to church on Sunday night. And we were to put on those clean clothes and we were to get in the car. Well, my brothers beat me to the shower and I was thinking to myself, why take a shower? And so I went immediately and I put on my clothes that I was going to wear to school next day, still sweaty, still dirty. And I went into my mom and dad's bedroom and I found a bottle of my dad's cologne. And I put just enough on, I thought, to cover up my stink. And we then got in the back seat of that uh, black Rambler station wagon. And then my mom started sniffing. She could tell something was different. And finally she came to me and she said, Stephen Dale, all the cologne in the world will not cover up that stink. I was caught. Some of you think that coming to church on Easter Sunday will cover up your stink. It will not. Some of you think putting something in the offering plate a little later on in service will cover up your stink. It will not. By the way, we call Easter Sunday Dollar Day because the counters get together on Monday to count the offering and there's an inordinate amount of dollar bills on Easter Sunday, one dollar bills. So you're sitting there and the offering plate keeps, it starts coming toward you and you start hearing the theme music from the first Jaws movie as it gets closer and closer. And you're looking for anything that doesn't make noise. You're looking for a one, but you'll settle for a five. Friends, a one and a five won't cover it. A million dollars will not cover it. There's not anything you can put in an offering plate to cover up your stink and mine. We do a lot of things to try to cover up our sin, don't we? We try to put on a show. We try to tell a story that's not a true story. It's a false story that we project to others. And the truth is, is that all of us have wandered away from God. All of us have gone places and done things and said things and thought things that we should have never done. And there's not anything that will take away that stink but the risen Christ. Back when I was in school, I know this might surprise some of you, but I used to get in trouble for talking in class. They tried everything in the world to get, they, get me to shut up. They'd give me demerits. They'd make me stand in the hall. And finally, in the third grade, a teacher found the solution. And she told me the story about any time that I would get in trouble in class, and certainly when I was sent down to the principal's office where I spent some of my best days in grade school, that they would take out a file folder and they would write in ink on my permanent record. And she informed me that that record was there forever. In fact, the next year when I would go to the next class, when I'd move from the third grade to the fourth grade, that before I ever got there, my permanent record got there, and that teacher had my number. If I was to go from grade school to middle school one of these days, they would send that permanent record of mine all the way across town, and it would be there before I ever arrived. 
She said, one of these days, you may want to go to college. They're going to want to see your permanent record. One of these days, when you graduate, you may want to try to get a job. Guess what they're going to ask for? They're going to ask for your permanent record. One of these days, you're going to be dating a girl, and before she'll marry you, she will want to see your permanent record. I tell you, they had me scared to death. Let me tell you what happened when I was a young man. I remember the day that I realized that the God of the universe had become a man himself and that he lived a perfect life and that he had laid his life down for me. And in childlike faith, I prayed and I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. And on that day, there wasn't anything that I deserved, but he forgave me. The God of heaven reached down and took my record and he exchanged it with the record of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something I'm celebrating today. I'm celebrating today that when God looks down on Steve Stroop, he doesn't see my deeds. He sees the very deeds of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Friends, that's something to celebrate. That is something to celebrate. I'm going to tell you, you can tell when someone has met the risen Christ because they are grateful people. They understand what it cost Jesus to exchange our records. There was a thief who was dying next to Jesus and there's not a thing in the world that he could do for Jesus or God or the church or anything else. He was in his dying moments. And first of all, he claimed his sin. He humbled himself and he said, we are getting what we deserve, but this man has done nothing. And then he turned to Jesus and he simply asked Jesus to forgive him. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Guys, I don't care where you're from or what you've done, how many mistakes you've made, you need to hear something today. God loves you enough that he will forgive you. And if you have met the risen Savior, you can turn on the back of your guide and you can write these words, because he is risen, I am forgiven. The third oil was used for soap. The second oil had a lot of uses, but it was primarily used to provide light for the home. They would take that oil and put it in a little clay fixture and they would put a wick in there. And as long as the, the oil lasted, there was light for that home. In Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, God not only wants to forgive your past, but he wants to change your future. And one of the ways that he does that is when we invite the risen Lord into our life, his spirit, the spirit of Jesus Christ comes to live inside of us. And Jesus said when that spirit comes to live inside of you, he will guide you into all things. He will help you in your relationships and he'll help you in your job and with school. He'll help you know what to do and where to go. He'll tell, tell you how to manage your money and how to uh, communicate in all of your relationships. You see, here's the good news. The good news is that God not only loves you, God likes you. And he wants to be with you every single step of every single day. Last summer, Marsha and I were in a city that we'd never been in before, and we were heavily relying on our GPS. And I turned to Marsha and I said, what in the world did we ever do before GPS? And she said, well, it took us a lot longer to get where we needed to go, and sometimes we didn't make it. I remember how dangerous it was to fold and unfold that map while I was trying to drive. <laughs> Back in the day of Jesus, when the sun went down, it got dark. They didn't have any street lights. They didn't have any electricity. They certainly didn't have any flashlights or batteries. 
And when that little lamp came out, that lamp was essential for them to get to where they needed to go. And without that lamp, they could stumble around in the darkness. They could do a lot of damage to themselves without that light. Friends, that's a metaphor of your life and mine without the guidance of God in our daily life. You see, if you have had an encounter with the risen Savior, you not only can say, I am forgiven. You can say, because he is risen, I have a clear guide. Now that first oil, the very first oil that came out of the lamp was called and still is called today the virgin olive oil and it was used for consumption. If you had that oil on your table, it talked about the richness of that meal because it was the butter of the first century. The Bible has a wonderful verse in John 10, 10. It's the words of Jesus when Jesus said, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. You see, God wants to bring a richness to your life, a fullness to your life. He wants to bring the best to your life. He not only wants to forgive your past and guide you to the future, but right here in this time, he wants to give you the best kind of life. You know, the very first verse that I ever memorized, and many of you memorized as well, was John 3, 16. And in that verse, it talks about the fact that when we encounter the risen Christ, that we have eternal life. Now, when I was young, I used to think eternal life meant that I would live forever. Here's the truth today. All of us are gonna live forever. One of these days, every single person that's in this room, everybody who's watching us online right now, this old body that you are living in right now will die. It will turn to dust. But you will continue to live. Your personality, your will, your emotions will continue forever somewhere. And so when the Bible promises eternal life, every time you see that word, eternal life, it's not just talking about the length of life, it's talking about the quality of life. Listen to me very carefully. There's some of you here, and you've invited Jesus Christ into your life, and you are forgiven. If you died today, you would go to heaven, not because you're good, not because you go to church, but you've accepted the free gift that is in Jesus Christ, paid for on the cross. But the problem is, you've wandered away from that gift. And you're still saved, it doesn't cause you to lose your salvation, but here's what you've lost. You've lost God's guidance daily in your life, and as a result, you've lost a quality of life. You're having the same marital discords that everybody who's not met the risen Christ is having. You're struggling with finances just like everyone else. You're struggling with life itself because you've not allowed the God who has forgiven you to guide you. You've not allowed the God who has forgiven you to give you the quality of life that he meant for you to have. Listen to what it says in 1 John, the fifth chapter, verse 12, it says, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, some of you have not experience the very life that God created you to experience. You're not waking up every morning looking forward to every single day for the adventure that God has laid out before you, looking with great anticipation with the blessings that he's going to pour out into your life. But don't misunderstand, it's not that those of us who are followers of Christ that nothing bad happens to us. It's just that because Jesus Christ is in our life the worst that this world throws at us cannot defeat us. And that because our God is a, a redeeming God, 
who on the darkest day in the universe, when Jesus laid in the grave, brought him up from the grave, he'll use that same power to bring more good out of anything bad that does come our way. And then one day we look forward with hope to the place where there is no sickness, there are no diseases, there are no enemies. The enemy has been defeated. And that's the kind of life that God wants you to live. He wants you to live a victorious life even when you're going through trial. And that's possible through the risen Christ. If you have met the risen Christ and you have allowed him to continue to guide you and to work in your life, you can say, I am, not only you can say, I am forgiven, I have a clear guide for life, but you can say, I have a life that's worth living. Two-thirds of Americans believe that Jesus Christ was literally raised from the grave. But I think it's safe to say that two-thirds of Americans are not experiencing what we've described today. You see, the final use of that oil was to take that best oil, that virgin oil. And according to the book of Exodus, it's there, there's a recipe to mix that best of the best oil with uh, some spices, and then they would take that, and on those rare occasions, they would anoint the new king of Israel by anointing his head with oil. Listen to me, in the Old Testament, there's a word, the word is Messiah. That word comes from the root of the olive oil, the root word. The word Messiah literally means the anointed one. So you see, when the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah, they were waiting for their king. They understood what it meant to be an anointed one. It was to be the king. You take that same word, Messiah, and you take it into the Greek New Testament, and you translate it, it's the word Christ. The word Christ also means the anointed one. Messiah means the king. Christ means the king. Here's my question for you today. Have you anointed the risen Jesus as your king? If you haven't, you'll not experience his forgiveness. If you haven't, you will not experience his guidance. If you have not, you will not experience the abundant life that he has promised to those that would anoint him as king. You do know that Jesus' last name was not Christ. You do know that, don't you? It was not Joseph and Mary Christ and their son, Jesus Christ. But those who were his followers called him Christ because they knew that this one who lived a perfect life and this one who was resurrected from the dead, he deserved to be king. You know what? He deserves to be king in your life as well and in mine. Have you made him king? Have you made him the king of your life? Friends, we wanna help you on your journey toward the risen Christ. Again, if you'll look inside of your guide today on that response card at the bottom, it gives you a chance to let us know where you are on that journey. Some of you would check A there and you would say, you know what, I'm already a Christian. There was a time I remember that I invited Jesus Christ to forgive me. For, for whatever reason, I've wandered away from the Lord and I'm not experiencing his guidance right now in my life. I'm certainly not experiencing the life that he promised. And you would say today, it's time for me to come home. It's time for me to come home. Or you might check B there and say, you know what, I'm a believer. I, I believe this, but you know what, I've never been baptized. See, for baptism is the New Testament way for you to anoint him as king. Whenever they anointed a king, they did it in public. They did it as a grand thing. 
everyone would know that they were giving their allegiance to this one who would lead them. Have you done that? Say, well, Steve, I was baptized as a baby. Friends, your parents chose that baptism for you. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to choose your own baptism. It's time for you to stand up and say, I'm a Christian and I'm not ashamed of it. Baptism does not save us, but it tells the world that he is our anointed one, that he is our king. Or maybe you check C there to say, you know what, I'm still in process. I'd just like to have a conversation with someone about what it means to be forgiven, to be guided, to have this abundant life that you're talking about, to have him as king. Understand this, that when you anoint him as king, when you declare him as the boss of your life, when you yield control to him, you're not promising that you'll never do anything wrong again. You can't make that promise. Here's what you're saying is I believe in you. I need you. Come into my life and begin to do what only you can do in and through me. Some of you are ready to do that today. And wouldn't that be the greatest way to celebrate this day? Many of us who have already received him, today is a day of recognizing how much we have to be grateful for and recommitting ourselves to live for our risen king. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this pause in very busy lives to remember what you did so long ago and what you're wanting to do today in and through us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us for giving your life, and for being the king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.